You embrace it, receive it, it comes into your heart, and it affects your life around you. It causes you, enables you to do a lot more than you could ever do on your own. And that's the story of Gideon. So we pick it up in Judges chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 11 down to about verse 16. Would you say it with me this afternoon? Thank you, Lord, for the book of Judges. We have to honor God's word. It is so so precious to us because God is the word. Jesus was the word. It's so precious that we have his word. And it explains what God's like to us. And this passage especially explains that God's peace to us. We'll, we'll get into that story. Now, a little bit of background before we read here this afternoon. In the book of Judges, this is before the kings came along, before King Saul, before King David, and so forth. We have this time of the judges where they judged the land. Now, when the judges were there and doing good, the country did good. And when the judges died off and they didn't have a judge or they're in between judges, the people, they they wandered away from God. They lived in this cyclical pattern of doing good, doing bad, doing good, doing bad. And when, when they did bad, when they wandered away from God, well, then they had the repercussion of it. And as a result of it, right now, in this period of time, the Midianites are coming to visit them every year. And they, the Midianites are, I mean, they, they, when they showed up, it says here that the people ran into the mountains, the hidden caves, the hidden dens, because these guys just, they arrived like locusts. They just kind of swarmed in on them, took all their crops so the cattle didn't have anything. They just wiped pretty well everything out. And uh, it's one of the first times in the Bible, or the first time that we hear of camels coming in as part of their army. And so this army would show up. Now, now the army, remember, these guys were, well, they, they were like the Green Berets. They're like Navy SEALs. These are trained soldiers that are showing up, and they wipe everything out. These are, you know, these are the best of the best that are coming in, and they, they wipe out everything that they have. Gideon's a farmer. His dad's a farmer. And most of them, they're agrarian. They, they, they live there off the land. And when these guys would show up, they, they ran into the hills. The protection of God has lifted because they have left God. You know, when you leave God out of stuff, God's a gentleman. You don't see his protection, his blessing. And that's what's happened here. They have left God out of their nation, and they're living with the results of it. A prophet in this time comes along and says, look, God took you out of Egypt. God is with you. Basically, say, return to God, and God will be with you. In that setting, we have the story of Gideon. He shows up, and uh, it starts off by an angel introducing angel of the Lord appearing to Gideon. So that's where the story begins for us this afternoon. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to me, oh, him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And were all his miracles, which our father told us about in saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned and said to him, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So we're going to look at this story of Gideon this afternoon. 
First of all, I want to point out to you that God honors courageous faith that has some action to it. I think, my opinion, you could have a different opinion, but my opinion, I think Gideon gets a bad rap. Because people talk about Gideon, oh yeah, he was a coward, he was hiding in the wine press. Well, if you read it carefully in different translations, it says that he was hiding the grain in the wine press. I don't think that's such a bad idea because if it's all getting robbed, it's kind of a smart idea to hide it. And at least the guy was doing something. He wasn't in the cave hiding somewhere. I, you know, I kind of like Gideon. I kind of like the fact that he did something. He said, you know, I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to get some wheat. I'm going to go on this wine press. I don't want to be seen where the enemy can capture me. So I'm going to hide here. It's not as good. You know, grain should be thrashed outside where the wind can blow away the chaff. But I'm going to do it here. I'm going to keep my wheat. I'm going to have something to me. I see courage in that. I see the guy's at least doing something, and I see some perseverance. Uh, God saw something in him. I think he saw him acting. You know, Elisha was plowing, and God said, Elisha, I need you. Peter was fishing. God said, Peter, I need you. Matthew was collecting taxes, working for the government. He says, Matthew, I need you. Seems to me God finds people that are doing something, not hiding in caves and not wanting to do anything. So he, he finds Gideon, and he says, Gideon, I, I need you. You're a mighty, mighty man of valor. Now, God sees us great before we see ourselves great. Gideon didn't see himself great. He was looking in a different mirror. But if you look in this mirror, you'll see that God is with you. The Bible says that we should look at ourselves in the mirror and not forget what kind of person we are when we go away. And uh, some mirrors will tell you, oh, you're not going to amount to much. Uh, you don't have the right education. You don't have enough money. You don't know enough people. You live on the wrong side of the tracks. You're not going to make it. And that's what Gideon thought. He's like, God, are, are you sure? You, you sure you got the right guy? Like, uh, I'm kind of at the least of the least. You should be picking somebody else. But God says, no, no, Gideon, <laughs> I, I see you. And you're a mighty man of valor. And when we look in God's mirror of what God says about us, wow, he sees something great in our lives. Far earlier than we something, see something great in our lives. Yeah. I touched my screen. I lost my notes. So <laughs> thank God for iPads, right? <laughs> I found them. I, I, it, it once was lost and now it's found. There we go. <laughs> Thirdly, God expects us to use what we have. Gideon, uh, he, he kind of feels like he doesn't have a lot. You know, he he feels like he's kind of the least. And he, but yet God says to him in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. Go with the strength you have. This is a really important point because sometimes you feel like you don't have enough. And Gideon, especially in this story, he feels like I don't have enough to do this. God, God are you, let me just get this straight. You, you want me to go and defeat the Midianites as one person. You want me to go? God, you have to remember, I'm a farmer, okay? Like, I know how to thresh wheat, but I, I don't know how to, I, I, am, I am not trained in martial arts, okay? I took no karate growing up. I didn't, I didn't do any, you know, fighting swords, fighting schools or anything. I, I, I'm not your man. Like, are you, are you sure you want me? And he, no, no, just go with the strength that you have. That's God's word for you this year. Go with the strength that you have. You might not be ready for this, but I got news for you this afternoon. 
God's going to give you something in 2013 that's bigger than you are. Yeah, it'll be bigger than you are. And you're going to look at it and you're going to go, uh, God, uh, I think you picked the wrong person for this assignment. Like, I know so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and they'd be much more qualified. God said, no, 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 I picked you. See, but, but God, but, but God, and God's saying, go in the strength that you have and watch what I'll do. See, if you give God nothing, he can do nothing with it. But if you give him the strength that you do have, the education you have, the finances you have, the ability that you have, he'll do the rest. But if you're afraid to give him that, you know, again, I think Gideon gets a bad rap because he does give God what he has. I mean, he struggles, he wrestles, he's got fears and all the rest of it. I see a very human person, very finite, but saying, okay, I'll do it. I like that about Gideon. Maybe it's because I can relate to Gideon. Because I feel like, I'm like Gideon. I, I feel like, God, you sure you want me to plant a church in Vancouver? I think you got the wrong guy. I told God that. God, there's lots of other people that really would love to live in Vancouver. I'd like to live on a farm somewhere. Are you sure you want me here? God, are you sh- there's people that got more education than no cities, that love cities. God, I don't even care about downtown Vancouver when I started, but God puts a love in your heart. Are you sure you want me to do this? Yeah, well, just go with what you have. Okay. And I don't even think I'm God's first choice. I'm, I'm sure he must ask somebody else before he came to me, but maybe not. I don't know. I've often thought, well, let's try Dave. Dave will do it. <laughs> okay, God, if you, if you think I can do it, I'll do it. I'll go in the strength that I have. But I, I too, like Gideon, I feel like I am the least of the least. Somebody asked me, because I went to Bible school in Clearbrook, and Cheryl and I, we met there, and I didn't graduate. She didn't graduate either. We would have been nice to graduate. That would have been better. We would have been more qualified had we graduated. And uh, so somebody said, well, I mean, the school must, they must call you. They must be really thankful for what you're doing. I said, no, we've, we've never heard from them. You know, and I, and I didn't graduate there. And then I went on to do some other school. And I said, God, and, and he gave me a word one time. He says, if you will go, if you obey me, your education, will, it'll never hold you back. And I thought, okay, God, if that's what you're saying, then I'll do it. And you know, amazingly enough, today I have a doctorate degree. I'm not sure how that happened, but I do. <laughs> but God took the little that I had, and he blessed it. You know, I, <laughs> oh yeah, I could tell you stories. The why I could feel like Gideon. I remember failing math 10, you know, and then, uh, oh God, it's never going to work. And then ending up, you know, yeah, anyhow, I won't go to those stories. I just want to tell you this, that when you feel like, God, I am so underqualified, but if you say go, I'll go, God really likes that. And I don't know what's on your plate or what's on your horizon for next year, but I just have a sense for a lot of us, and even for us as a church, that he'll be asking us to do things that are beyond the scope of our ability, and he likes it like that because we're going to have to depend on him a whole lot in order for it to happen. That's what God does with Gideon. God doesn't put up with excuses, by the way, because Gideon gives him a number of excuses. Not only does he say, Lord, I am the weakest and I am the least. And the message Bible says, me, my master, how with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the runt of the litter. 
But you know, God has a way of taking the runt of the litter and doing something amazing with the runt of the litter. Man looks on the outside, God looks on the inside. Yeah. And he had other excuses for God too, you know. When we read about this, he said, not only does he say that I'm the weakest, I'm the least. Uh, he also went on to say, he also was saying to him, you know, how could, who could save us? Look at, you know, our fathers, they talk about all these miracles, but where are the miracles? And when he said that to God, when he said, where are the miracles in verse 13? Has the Lord forsaken us? You know, God doesn't even answer him. God doesn't say, oh, yeah, by the way, yeah, you're asking a question, where are the miracles? Well, let me explain that to you. There was a miracle coming out of Egypt. Let me explain what happened to you. He doesn't even respond to that. He just says, hey, Gideon, I'm calling you. So, ever, have, ever complain to God and he doesn't even respond to your complaints? Ever give God an excuse and you say, God, but, but this, but this, and heaven's just silent. Why? Because, no, he's not listening to your excuses. He, he responds to faith. If you said to do it, God, all right, let's go do it. So he doesn't put up with excuses. And also, this shalom, this peace is introduced here now in verse 23 and 24. In between that passage we read and verse 23, Gideon presents a sacrifice to the angel of God. And it's consumed by fire. It's a great sign that God's with him. And at that point, God says to Gideon, uh, I'll, I'll start in verse 22, Gideon perceived that he was that the, it was the angel of the Lord because of the sacrifice being consumed by fire. Alas, O Lord God, Gideon says, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. He thought he was going to die. He thought, oh, no, I'm going to die. He said, no, you're not going to die. You can't blame him. You know, he was in the presence of God at this great assignment ahead of him. Then in verse 24, here's the headwaters. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord Shalom. The first time Jehovah Shalom is introduced in the Bible, to this day, it is still called that in Orphra. So this is where it's introduced. God has different attributes. He has different names. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu. They're all different aspects of the nature of God. But here he introduces the nature of peace. It's almost an oxymoron. Gideon, you're going to go into battle. You're going to have a fight. By the way, I'm the God of peace. What? You would think I said, I'm the God of battle. I'm a warrior God or something. He says, I'm the God of peace. Does that make any sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Because shalom means more than peace. In the cultures and the languages where they use shalom, shalom means good morning, shalom means goodbye, shalom means peace, shalom means stability, shalom means soundness of mind, shalom means wholeness, shalom means an equilibrium in your spirit, a poise, it means a stability. And what do you need when you're in a battle more than anything else? You need a stability. You need a peace. You need, you need this gyroscope turning on the inside of you that keeps you balanced in the middle of a storm. That's what peace is, my friend. And we desperately need peace. The world is looking for peace. They're trying to find peace. We saw that little video clip, which is really a snapshot of our culture. I can't really define it. Are you talking about inner peace? environmental peace like what kind of peace are you talking about i'm confused and really the world's confused what is peace we've talked about it we've sang about it from john lennon to all the other artists we've talked about peace 
But what really is peace? I propose to you this afternoon, there is only one true source of peace for the heart of mankind that comes from Jehovah Shalom and his son, the Prince of Peace. There is no other true source of peace, period. And I give him praise unashamedly. He is the Prince of Peace. And he says, I give you peace. Not as the world gives, I give you peace. This peace... Does not, cannot be bought, cannot be worked for, cannot be conjured up, doesn't come from a substance to affect your body or mind. It's a peace in your spirit. The core of your being has a peace. That you could be sitting in a prison like Paul and Silas and be worshiping and praising God, or you could be in the middle of a negotiation and you have a peace. You could be in the middle of a family struggle and there is a peace in your heart. Folks, what is that worth? Wow. And Jesus said, I give you peace. I give you peace. Well, how do I receive the peace? The first thing that he asks Gideon to do is tear down the Baal God and the Ashtoreth beside it, which was a fertility God. Tear it down. Get rid of it. Get worship squared away properly in your life. If you want to have peace in your life, get rid of the false gods. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You cannot have the peace of God in your life if you keep worshiping something else. Because that will rob you of the peace. Sin robs you of peace. But the peace of God comes when we tear down those other things and worship God for who he is. We worship, we praise him. And it's an amazing sacrifice because worship is a sacrifice. He sacrifices his dad's bull, second oldest bull. Now, folks, there was a famine in the land. Cattle are scarce. And if you've raised cattle, you know, one thing to sacrifice a cow or a steer or a heifer, God's not asking for the cow. He's not asking for the steer. He's not asking for the heifer. He's saying, I want the bull. Why? Because one bull can breed 100 cows. You get rid of the bull, you don't have no, no more calves the next spring. He says, take the bull. That would be the sacrifice. Kill your dad's bull. Cut down that wooden statue, which represents this fertility God. Use that as firewood and take the rocks that were for this Baal God and build a proper altar and get worship reestablished in this home and I can show up. And sometimes we have to, there's a priority of worship in order for us to have peace of God in our life. I think it's important for us to have Worship in church. It's important to have worship in our homes. It's important to worship. You remember that, that message we had on, on, on worship, on joy a couple of weeks ago? I brought, a, I brought a crowbar to church. If you missed it, you can watch it online. I brought a, on the farm, we called it a gooseneck, a crowbar. And we said, you have to break forth into joy. When we worship, when we sing, when we worship, you literally are taking that like a crowbar and you're pushing it into the spiritual realm and... <laughs> You pry something open. And peace comes following worship. There's a, that has to proceed. When we were praying and fasting for the grand service, I found myself in Isaiah 54. And Isaiah 54, every morning I found myself praying and reading that for our church. And it starts off in Isaiah 54. Break forth and sing, O barren one. Are you barren? Do you feel like, God, where are the miracles? Where is, the, where is it? They were barren in, at that time. Because Gideon says, where are the miracles? There was a barrenness in the land. 
And Isaiah says, break forth into joy, you barren one. Sing. It's a key to your harvest. It's a key for the freedom. It's a key for the peace. So the first thing God says, reestablish worship. Get worship in its proper perspective in order to have peace. There's something that breaks free when we worship. Brad leads us in worship. But this is not the worship team. You're the worship team. You are the worship team. So to come to church and just say, well, I hope they play the right song. That's a little bit too loud, a little bit too quiet, oh, a little bit too much bass, a little too much this drum. If, if that's going through your head, you're missing it. You will not break free. You will be barren. I know I'm being really straight with you this afternoon. But, honey, if you want to have peace in your heart, you've got to build a bridge and get over that stuff and be able to lift your hands and worship God. But you know what? I really don't feel like worshiping. I don't want somebody to see me and I'm uncomfortable. Well, look, it's called a sacrifice of praise. Really, how hard is it for you to show some body emotion, body language? Standing there with your hands in your pocket like you're frigid and cold is body language. You go to a Canucks game. What was that? Anyhow, I forgot what they were. Anyhow, if you go to a sports game and somebody scores a goal, there is some body expression. Yeah, we scored. Because they're excited. Now, next person may be excited and they'll be a little more quiet. Yeah, I mean, they're just as excited, but they're, their personality is a little bit different. We don't have all the same personality, praise God. Some are more quiet, more reserved, other more expressive. But we should have... This act of worship in our lives, in church, personally. I don't know. I didn't go here with the other services. I don't know why I am here this afternoon. But some of us are looking for this peace of God. And yet we, have, we don't release worship to him. Worship is tied into the peace of God. Peace of God is also related to where you keep your mind. Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. It also says that God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So if we keep our mind on our problems, sorry, I got to say this, but, and if we keep our mind in the gutter And then expect we're going to have peace to know what to do in the storms. We're deluded. We're just fooling ourselves. Some of the stuff is just trash. Yeah. Some, some of the movies are just trash. You know, after the Newtown shooting, there were two movies that they couldn't even do the screening for because they were so raunchy. The Django and one other Johnny something or another. There's so much murder in them, so we can't release it because we just had all these kids murdered in Newtown. We can't show this movie. But now let's show it. I was like, wait a minute. It was wrong two weeks ago. Why is it not wrong now? Now it's okay. It's one of the gun problems, folks. It's a heart problem. All these people, get rid of the gun. I, I don't want to get in that argument. I just want to say, this peace thing is a hard thing. And there's only one source for it. And that comes from the Prince of Peace, or Jehovah Shalom. Now, 
peace comes when we keep our mind in the right place, when we're worshiping, but it also comes when we pray. Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. There's something that happens. There's a switch that takes place. There's this old switcheroo. Worry gets exchanged for peace. And when you take your cares, your anxieties, what you're worried about, what's robbing you of peace, and you go to God in prayer with it, and you lift it up to him in prayer, you come out of that prayer closet and you're not weighted down anymore. You've experienced that numerous times. You've done that. You've gone and you pray. You go, I know it's crazy out there, but I feel everything's going to be all right. Because prayer kills worry. Years ago, when they were pioneer years of aviation, this pilot fills his plane with fuel, heads out over the ocean, and he's two hours into his flight, and he hears this gnawing in the plane. He goes, what in the world is that? He listens and listens. He goes, I think i got a rat in my plane. When he landed, rats got on board the plane. Now he's flying. He's, he's going to die. He's going to gnaw through the fuel lines. He's going to crash his plane. He says, what do I do? Then he has this inspiration. He knows that at a certain elevation, the rats can't breathe. So he takes the plane higher and higher. At 20,000 feet, he's flying along, and he's listening. And after a while, there's no more gnawing. The rats are dead. What's the moral of the story? When you take your worries, which are nothing but rats, gnawing into your lifeline, and you come up to a high enough elevation, that rat will die, and it will no longer be alive in your life. Amen. But you, you have to, you got to fly to that height. If you want to stay flying at a low elevation, you will have anxiety chew through that peace fuel line, which really fuels your life for the challenges that you're facing. So God gives him this shalom. He gives him this peace to go with him into battle. Now, Gideon is a little bit, we have to clarify something here. Gideon is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Judges or the Old Covenant. Testament is Latin for covenant, old covenant. We're under the new covenant. In a little bit, we'll be taking the communion, which is a celebration of the new covenant, better promises. In the old covenant, the Holy Spirit came upon them, but never lived within them. Today, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives within us. And Gideon, he says, you know, angel of the Lord, if this is really you, can you, uh, I'm just going to, wait a minute here. I got to go get a... I'm going to get a goat. I'm going to get some grain, and I'm going to put it on this rock. And, and, and if you bring fire and burn that up, uh, then I know that you're with me. And fire comes. Now, we don't have to do that. But Gideon does that. And then Gideon says, you know what? That was, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but just bear with me. That was really good. But can we just double check this? Um, let me see. I've got a, a wool fleece here from a sheep. I'll put it on the ground, and um, uh, let's see. Tomorrow morning, if I get up and the ground's dry, no dew, but the wool on that fleece is full of moisture, then, then I know this is a go. I should go do this. God says, okay. He gets up in the morning. The ground's all dry, but that fleece, he wrings out a bowl full of water. So, okay, God. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty well there. Uh, if I, just, I don't want to bother you, but just, just one more. Let's just, let's just double check this. Uh, let's reverse it. And... Uh, let the wool be dry and the ground wet, and then I know for sure you're with me. And God does it for him. 
Don't expect that today. God will give us signs along the way, but we have something that they would have loved to have. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets, they stood on the mountaintops of prophecy and they looked down the road and they saw you and I filled with the Holy Spirit that we have him living within us, that he would guide and direct our lives. They would have much rather had that. We have the Prince of Peace living within us to guide every decision we have in life. We shall be led forth by peace. Peace is your compass. And you have a compass, just like you have a boat that's rocked and maybe going through the storm, but on that dashboard, so to speak, the control center of that boat, right in the middle sits a compass. And whatever the compass says, that's the truth. And in your world, there's a compass in your heart. The Bible says, lean not to your own understanding, but with all your heart, follow him. Trust, your, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths in 2013. Hallelujah. Amen. Give him praise. Yes. He will direct you this year. By peace. Lots of verses. They're in your notes to follow that up. Now, God always gets the credit for this because of victory supernatural. Gideon says, okay, God, I, I, I got you. you. You've convinced me after all those signs that I'm supposed to do this. So he gets out his little trumpet. All you guys in the hills, come on down. We are going to take on the Midianites. So these guys get out of the cave. Whew. All right, here we go. And so they head down. They don't have swords. They don't have not, you know, they're not trained in war, really. So they come down and, and they, hey, Gideon, who are we fighting? Well, you're going to fight the Midianites. There they are. You know, every year they rip us off. How many do you think there are out there? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of them. We find out that there's over, there's about 300,000. So how many do we have? One, two, three. They do a little head count. They have 32,000. So they're really outnumbered. And so Gideon said, oh, okay, well, if God says to do it, I'll do it. Then God says, wait a minute, you got too many. Gideon says, what? I think it's the other way around. I think I should have more. No, no, you have too many. Here's what you do. Tell your 32,000 guys, if you feel uncomfortable going to this battle, if you're fearful at all, just go home. It'll be okay. So he tells the army of that, and 20,000 say, yeah, we're out of here. We'll go. So they, they leave. 22,000, whatever it is, 20,000. So now he's down to 10,000, facing over 300,000. And God said, nah, that's still too many. Gideon said, really? Yeah, that's still too many. Okay, what do you want me to do? Well, have him go down to this little river here and take a drink. And whoever gets down and drinks like a dog and laps it up on their knees like that, let them go. But whoever will drink it, cup it up with their hand, keep them. So he does that. Now he's down to 300. He's outnumbered like 450 to 1 or something. And he's saying, you just hear Gideon say, God, what are you doing? And you know what God's saying? He's saying, I want this to be set up in such a way that if anybody looks at it, they'll know only God could have done that. And he alone deserves the glory. And so it will be in our lives. God will give us something to do beyond our scope. And you'll say, God, are you sure? And God said, trust me, I am Jehovah Shalom. I'll be your peace. I'll go with you. And you'll find out that only I will be glorified through this. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify you 
No, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen? So when we live for him, he'll give us things that are bigger than we are. And may we not be like the little guy in the video who said, Oh, what war? There's no war out here. I have no need of peace. I, I got it. There's no, there's no trouble here. You know, I, I think if, if we would say, I'm not troubled. I'm not afraid. Maybe you're not taking on something big enough. Maybe you're sailing too close to the shore. Maybe you're playing the role of a conservative Canadian, just playing it safe. Don't want to risk too much. Maybe this year God's going to challenge you to take a bigger step where it's God or nothing. Where it brings you to your knees. And God, if you're not here, I, this is over. I am so far out of the boat. I am walking on water. And if you're not in this, I'm sunk. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but that's where God wants you. Totally dependent on him. Not by might, not by power, not by your strength, but by his spirit. Are you ready to live there in 2013? Yes. All right. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's a challenge for me. But it does keep us on our knees. It does keep us trusting him. And it does leave us with no other option but to give praise and glory to him. He alone can handle it. He alone is worthy of it. If we're going to ask Gideon some questions today, we could go back in time and ask him some questions. If we said, is the enemy so entrenched in my life that he cannot be overthrown? Gambling was in my great father, grandfather, my father, my, it's been in our family all these years. Is, is it so entrenched that it could never be overthrown? Every year it seems like it comes in and robs my family. Is that, that entrenched? Gideon said, no, not with God. You could ask Gideon, do I have to put up with the enemy coming in and stealing my harvest? It seems like my pockets have holes in it. My bank account's got a leak. It just seems like, where's my harvest going? Do I have to put up with that? No, you don't, Gideon would say. You could ask Gideon, do I have to be the greatest of my family or community for God to use me? Gideon said, no, use me. You could ask Gideon, if God is with me, does it matter that the numbers are stacked up against me? And Gideon said, no, God will go with you. If I show some signs of fear, will God abandon me? Gideon said, no. Man, I, I at times, I really wrestled with fear, but God still used me. Will God's peace really give me the stability and soundness of mind? To win the battles of life, Gideon would say, yes, it will give you the peace, stability that you need. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer this afternoon. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. You, you might be here today and you've never yet opened up your heart to receive the Prince of Peace to come into your life. As I mentioned, it's something that is given. It's not earned. You can't work for this. It's a free gift. And it only comes when you accept what God has done when he sent his son to die for us that we could have peace, we could have life. And it's a gift given and has to be received. We receive it by expressing it vocally, verbalizing, saying, Lord, I accept it, I receive it into my heart. And then there's this miracle of peace that goes with us through all the struggles, the challenges, the victories of life. It never leaves us, never forsakes us.